0: person instruction isn't the only part of American higher education that's been disrupted by COVID-19. The pandemic also forced the cancellation of the spring administrations of the SAT and ACT, the two tests that play a key role in undergraduate admissions, and access to those tests remained limited over the summer. Many colleges have responded by going test optional for the 2021 admission cycle, letting applicants submit scores if they choose, but not requiring them to do so. Testing skeptics have welcomed this change and hope that it will endure beyond the pandemic. But could the combination of test optional admissions and limited access to testing turn out to be a worst case scenario for equity in college admissions? I'm Marty West, editor of Education Next. And my guest today is Sarah Turner, university professor of economics and education and Souter family professor at the University of Virginia. Along with Jordan Arnold, Sarah is the author of a new blog post headlined combination of limited college admission testing and test optional policies set off a scramble that's available now on the journal's website at educationnext.org. Sarah, welcome to the Ednext podcast.
1: Marty, thanks. It's terrific to speak with you. You and Jordan described the
0: current situation with respect to the SAT and ACT as a chaotic testing environment. We'll get to the nature of the chaos in a moment, but I wonder if you could start out by telling how you all first became aware of it.
1: So over the course of the spring, I've been working in high schools in the state of Virginia, testing out a new tool to help students navigate uh, the college application process. In doing so, I've been working in partnership with the College Advising Corps, which is a near-peer intervention that embeds recent college graduates in uh, high schools, predominantly either rural or poor high schools, both in Virginia and in a set of other states. So in doing this, I got a, a bird's eye view of some of the challenges that were facing school professionals and the students that they were working with. One of the counselors that I've worked most closely with is Jordan Arnold. Jordan, uh, who is a co-author of this piece, works at the Covington High School, which is in the very western part of the state of Virginia. And it's a small, rural high school. And she works with a very diverse group of students. I will. I should note it on the side that Jordan was also a student of mine in the economics of education a couple of years ago. So anyway, with this training uh, in her back pocket, Jordan and I spent a lot of time talking about both the challenges associated with fee, fee waivers and the problems that students were facing navigating uh, the testing in the spring. Uh, Perhaps just the first piece to kick this off is that in Covington High School, it's uh, too small to have its own test administration. And so back in the dark days of March, this uh, the March testing was actually canceled. But unfortunately, uh, Jordan had students who'd driven more than an hour to a test site only to find that it had been canceled. So we've been watching this situation evolve and the hardships that students have faced uh, really since the spring.
0: So the March SAT administration was canceled nationwide as I understand it, and the April administration of the ACT was as well. Since that time, there's been some testing offered in certain locations, but on a far more limited basis than is typically the case. Do I have that right? And if that's the case, how are parents and students responding to the limited availability of testing sites and seats?
1: No, you have that exactly, well, uh, almost exactly right. So the March was actually a partial cancellation. And then uh, it, the May and June were total cancellations. And then August was, again, a partial cancellation. and so. One way that you can uh, see this is that there were supposed to be about four hundred and twenty some thousand students uh, take the August administration, and in the end, a little bit less than a hundred uh, I think a hundred and twenty thousand or so ended up taking it. So in effect, what you have. Is a situation of dramatic excess demand for testing. Now, the way this plays out is that the students that are most aware of, of the testing challenges are really actually quite strategic and willing to go to sort of incredible lengths to find testing options. Uh, and so you have people who are willing. Uh, to to travel a long distance, and this is what we started to see over the summer in the state of Virginia. So in one case, the nearly uh, 90 out of 100 seats went to students who were not from uh, the local high school. In the end, the high school ended up canceling the administration for fear of the public health consequences that would go with so many students coming Uh, from out of town. But the other issue there is one of crowd out. So, local students have a particularly hard time gaining access to the test. Now, all of this is exacerbated then by the chat, for low income students who need to also get fee waivers uh, in order to access uh, the test. And
0: usually low income students get fee waivers physically as I understand it, and they're no longer in school to be able to take advantage of that somewhat antiquated method of distribution. Is that right?
1: No, that is exactly right. And let us be clear that the challenges of access for low-income students to testing and college applications more generally predate the COVID crisis. So we take a, a situation of inequality and we make it worse. Uh, One of the great challenges is, again, of being poor, is that we ask students to prove again and again that they're low income. So you can think of uh, a problem of take up from the get go caused by both the stigma of asking your high school counselor for a fee waiver and the administrative hassles of accessing uh, those fee waivers. So you've got a a structural problem uh, to begin with, but then you compound that with the administrative challenges created by the testing agencies. So the students who had registered with fee waivers back in March and April were the ones that had the most difficult time uh, if you will, reusing those fee waivers to re-register for a, a subsequent uh uh admissions test. Now add to that the uh the challenges of the summer and the dislocation of students from high school uh counselors, and the fact that those counselors are likely over uh, already overburdened, and you have a situation in which the basic conditions of excess demand are really exacerbated and and the burdens of which fall disproportionately on low-income students. I should note that the system has now changed to one in which you can get a digital fee waiver but nonetheless you have to be in contact with your high school counselor uh, to get those fee waivers and you can imagine that high school counselors at this time and under these circumstances, with all of the challenges that they're facing in terms of scheduling and meeting just basic student welfare needs are likely to be very overwhelmed.
0: So we have challenges of excess demand for testing and equitable access to testing. And colleges and universities are responding to those challenges in many cases by going test optional. Exactly. Can you tell us a little bit about what that means?
1: Yes, so if you look back, Test Optional is a movement that's been lurking in the wings, if you will. Well, it goes back actually to, I believe, uh, Bowdoin in the early 70s, but it has been lurking in the wings uh, for several years now with many smaller colleges choosing to go uh, Test Optional. TEST OPTIONAL MEANS THAT STUDENTS HAVE THE CHOICE ABOUT WHETHER OR NOT THEY ARE GOING TO SUBMIT TEST SCORES. NOW, RECOGNIZING THE DIFFICULTIES OF TESTING, Many institutions shifted quite dramatically. I believe the timing was about the start of June to being test optional. My notes say that sort of prior to this year, six of the top 50 institutions were test optional by June, uh, was more like 42 out of 50. And even those institutions had some form of flexibility uh, with test optional. Now, the the old school notion of test optional was that students actually could choose whether to submit test scores, that is the choice belonged to the students. Now, if students can't actually register for the test, uh, the option part of that uh, seems to be sort of missing. The second piece about test optional is that it often comes with an asterisk. Test optional for some students, test optional if your GPA is above a certain threshold, test optional if you don't want to be considered for merit scholarships. So there there is unfortunately a lot of fine print that is going with the current uh, test optional uh, uh, regime. And then the third piece of test optional is actually the piece that concerns me the most, which is that test optional behavior or test optional policies tend to favor those who are able to be strategic and to think very carefully about whether submitting a test or not is likely to benefit them in the admissions process. So it can be an, again, to have that choice means that you've actually taken the test, and second, to be able to, if you will, be the econometrician to figure that out suggests that you have uh, that you have access to a great deal of guidance and support and information. And my concern is that. Uh, Low-income students, first-generation students, students from low-resource schools are going to be the least likely to have that information to navigate a test-optional environment.
0: So that final issue that you identified with test-optional policies, the increased scope for strategic behavior, is a more general consideration that applies regardless of whether the pandemic has suddenly limited options for students. more specific issue with the current moment is the first one you identified that seems like virtually everyone would say that test optional, the option in test optional should lie with the student rather than uh, their circumstances. Uh, Why is that such a significant concern in, in the present moment?
1: Well, the concern is that we're already in an environment in which Inequality in access to educational resources uh, has been widened in, uh, by the pandemic. That is, it is likely that students who are low income uh, and from underserved high schools are going to have the least uh, college guidance and college and resources for. Uh, navigating the application process uh, to begin with and those students also are least likely again to to have had access to perhaps taking the test uh, during their junior year or be able to register for the test yet this year uh, on the current availability schedule.
0: So is that the potential downside of test optional, which is a policy choice about which reasonable people can disagree as illustrated by a forum debate that Education Next published on the topic in the summer 2020 issue of the journal. But the potential downside of test optional is currently exacerbated by the present circumstances uh, and could get a worst case scenario as you all describe in the blog piece. So help us understand what can be done to avoid that worst case scenario outcome. How should colleges and universities change their current approach?
1: I think a first point to emphasize for colleges and universities is a need to not just focus on the admissions regime, but to focus really uh, quite intensely on uh, the uh, the issue of recruiting students, particularly low-income students and students from high schools that tend to not have uh, strong trajectories of college going. So again, one issue is to just make sure students apply and they have the resources and the tools to apply. So beyond that, I think it's really important to think about creating an option uh, beyond the traditional college admissions tests for students to submit information about their academic uh, performance. Uh, So that may be allowing the students to submit testing from the state accountability exams, for example. Uh, A third thing that they can do is that they can extend deadlines. The fourth thing is really actually the biggest picture uh, piece of this, and I think incredibly important, which is, Covid is a, a disruption to our current uh, post-secondary environment in so many ways, but we should not look as the pre-Covid status quo as perfect. Uh, indeed, it was; it has been deeply flawed. And really, we I hope colleges and universities look at this as an as an opportunity to explore new tools. Uh, new w- new new ways to help students demonstrate their skills and their uh, their capacity to thrive in different institutions. So uh, again, I I think that there are things that colleges can do. I want to emphasize a, a couple of points that that we haven't quite gotten to yet. But the first is that. Uh, We have over 3,500 four-year colleges and universities in the US. That is a great richness of our market. Uh, But to suggest that we need a one-size-fits-all response to the current pandemic would seem to miss the very, very differences in institutional missions across institutions. And indeed Pre-pandemic, it's likely that test scores were not of huge importance in probably 70% of those uh, four-year institutions. So allowing for differences in responses is enormously uh, important. And again, back to that first point about recruiting and identification, I think we sometimes forget that the standardized Uh, tests in their prior form, while they had all sorts of undesirable characteristics, uh, and we could spend a lot of time talking about that, they also provided a mechanism for identification of high-performing students from uh, schools, from family circumstances that might not have otherwise applied Uh, to very resource-intensive colleges and universities. And let me just give a quick plug for Sue Donarski's work on the Hale Scholarship in this context, uh, along with my work with Carolyn Hoxby on the Expanding College Opportunities Project. But again, there are, are benefits to being able to identify and reach out to students, and we're missing those in the current environment.
0: In both of those studies that you just mentioned, in one case, you, in another case, Sue Janarski, were able to identify low-income students with academic potential by virtue of the fact that they had participated in these standardized testing programs and the information that that generates. And without that information, that type of targeted recruitment that you all demonstrate can be effective becomes impossible. Now, yeah. what about the testing agencies themselves? How should the college board which administers the sat and the act how
1: should they respond well i think the first issue where i would uh, i have some concerns is that there's a need for full disclosure here if you know again, just like we have a lot of variation among colleges and universities, we have a great deal of variation across geographic er- areas in access to testing today. So there's a need for the testing agencies to exercise essentially full disclosure about where there is excess demand so that colleges and universities can respond appropriately to adjust their policies and to be be clear about that second i think that there's a public health issue here back to the early part of our our conversation it's a little absurd to see uh hundreds of families from uh, different states across the eastern seaboard descend descending on small rural virginia towns to sit for college admissions tests surely that must pose a greater health risk than those students gathering for in-person classes particularly as students tend to come with families and 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 the like so i think there's both an issue of providing testing opportunities to local communities and an issue of public health that goes with uh, essentially placing some regulations on uh, traveling for tests. Now, there's a limit to what can be done in in the very short term in terms of innovation. But again, one hopes that this circumstance is a stimulus for innovation in different ways uh, to provide access uh, to assessments beyond what I think you and I probably did, uh, which was go to our local high school on a Saturday morning with a couple of sharpened number two pencils. So uh, some of those innovations we may be able to make use of in the coming coming months. So at at schools where you have in-person classes, I think that there are opportunities for more, what's called a school day testing or in-school offering of the college admissions uh, tests.
0: And finally, do you have any advice for students or maybe more plausibly for the counselors who work with them?
1: I think the most important advice is really for the students. The first is to just invest in learning. And if you invest in learning, you have something to write about, something to show on your college applications, whether it be your essays or the other parts of your transcript. The second is to be forward thinking and strategic to acquire as much information as you can and third and really important reach out school counselors and a whole range of academic support or college support groups like the college advising corps are really there to help students navigate this pathway to college
0: my guest today has been sarah Turner. University Professor of Economics and Education at the University of Virginia. You can find her blog post with Jordan Arnold at educationnext.org. Sarah, thanks for being part of the podcast. Marty, thanks. Fun to talk to you. You've been listening to the Ednext Podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you use so that you don't miss an episode. And especially if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It helps us find more listeners and more listeners to find us.